And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 270 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. How you doing this week, Brian? Uh, you know, had, had the good, had the bad. Taking both and there you have it. The facts of life. There we go. I have, I don't think I talked about it last week. Uh, I have taken up ice cream making as my new summertime experiment. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, does this make you the ice cream man? Yes. <laughs> If someone yes. asks you if you're the ice cream man, you say yes. Uh, the difference between uh, me and the ice cream man we normally talk about, of course, is rather than suburban anxiety or just existential crises, I trade in puns. I trade in bad puns. Perfect. perfect. Yeah. The, the go-to flavor is, of course, pun I was going to say, that is that is my preferred flavor, actually, yes. Yeah. Um, no, I have I'd made... Like a double scoop of bad pun, please. <laughs> I have uh, made a couple of batches of one flavor, and in fact, later I'm going to move on to another. Uh, a Nutella ice cream oh my with God. a Biscoff cookie butter swirl. Holy crap, that sounds good. It is. It's very good. Oh my word. I am, I am going to uh, make a batch of the less exotic, but I'm sure equally tasty, peanut butter. Oh, this afternoon nice. yeah you, you know what i forgot to tell you i got this week alex it came what's in that week. my gotham city cocktails book oh nice yes it's actually it's a really nice like the the quality of the cover and everything is like a fabric it's really nice i like it sweet and it's got some uh some fun obviously some very cool drinks recipes in it that would be the whole point but it's also got some snack recipes in it and I was oh like, yeah oh my god this is super cool including Proper cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> I thought was very, very appropriate. Uh, yes. No, but there's a uh, there's a poison ivy drink with like sh green chartreuse and blanc vermouth, and I'm like, oh my mm. god, I have to try this. So the next yeah. time we all get together in person, Brian's oh, yeah. responsible for the cocktails. There we go. Yeah, it's oh god, so good. Excellent. Well, we are not here to talk about snacks no. and drinks, although. Frankly, I'm always here for talking about either. Sure. We are, in fact, here to talk about comics. And we will start this week with Spectre Inspectors, number five of five. Yeah, so uh, this is the uh, this is the final issue, you know, like like always. Um, you know, there's, there's the possibility for more here in the future. Um, and this, I, I really, really enjoyed how they told this story. And also, like, the length is perfect. And, you know, they wrap up this story. And the whole kind of framing device of this, I don't know if I ever mentioned it, was that they are like a uh, online publishing uh, ghost inspector group. Right? Cool. Like they put they put out a show on the internet of 
of them and Speckiga. And it turns out, obviously, in this case for this five issue series, that where they went, uh, they find real, uh, uh, in this case, ghosts and demons that possess people. Uh, and this wraps up this story and like finishes this and like as the last panel I think they're driving out of the the town that they've been kind of stuck in uh and talking about how you know hey I've already got ideas for the next story so it's it, I I like that if there ends up being more of these which I would fully support then they kind of have it set as a you know each arc can be like an episode that they're going to investigate cool which is very cool uh love the characters uh, love how they ended this. Just if you've got like an afternoon and you just want a uh, a good uh, read with some fun characters and like nothing too heavy or anything, uh, I I fully recommend it. I think it's great. Awesome. Yeah. We should uh, mention the creative team, of course. Yes. Written by Bowen McCurdy and Caitlin Musto, with art by Bowen McCurdy, letters by Jim Campbell, and design by Michelle Ankley. Yeah, I guess just real quick, I'll mention, uh, I don't know if I've said this either, that uh, Bowen McCurdy, that her art style is just, um, like, right in that kind of boom wheelhouse, if that makes sense. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, like, it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, some of the old Cartoon Network shows a little bit, like uh, maybe Gravity Falls or, um, uh, um, what was the other one, uh, Fairly Odd Parents-ish, kind of, with those uh, fun round eyes and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, just, I love it. I think it's great. Anyway. Awesome. Here we go. Neither of those was Cartoon Network, for the record. Don't oh, were they not? Tweet at us. Oh, hey, hey, they are. They, <laughs> they were. Are they were Disney. Time. Yeah, Disney and Nickelodeon, respectively. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know channels. I just knew shows. <laughs> Everything's online now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Moving on to DC and the first of two 2021 annuals this week, Catwoman annual. Written by Ram V, art by Kyle Hotz, Fernando Blanco, and Juan Ferreira. Colors by David Barron, and letters by Tom Napolitano. Can I say one thing first and foremost up front? Sure. Whichever editor has finally successfully lobbied for identifying annuals by the year they come out <sighs> and not putting out a seventh Catwoman annual number one deserves a fucking raise. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, 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 that is one of the things I literally never understood, which is, how do you, like, the annual, the whole idea is that, you know, they come out once a year. How is it not Catwoman Annual 2021? Like, just number them that way, yeah. you're done. You never, ever have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about which volume it's part of, you know, which run it's part of. Never Like, perfect. Exactly. And, like, I know before they started renumbering things with, with the new 52 that it was not as big a deal. But now that it's normal to renumber when you start a new volume with a new creative team, even mm -hmm. outside of a reboot, this makes so much more sense. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, nothing to do with the book itself, but I just, I've waited for this moment for years, and here we are. Anyway, the issue itself. So, we get the secret history. Of Father Valley. Yeah, we do. It's, it's, it is simultaneously what I expected and not what I expected. Right? Yeah. Like, 
it has all the elements that when you make the connection to Jean-Paul Valley, mm-hmm. like you kind of expect. You get the Order of St. Dumas, you get right. Azrael, you get all of those pieces. Yeah, Ludovic, right. But the actual who is Father Valley, you can piece together kind of quickly. Honestly, like the art is strong enough that you recognize oh, yeah. this character in the past as a younger version of him. Uh, but like the ride to how you get there, the reasoning for why he is who he is, all of that makes sense. And I like the, I like that there both is a connection to Jean-Paul, but a distance from Jean-Paul. I agree also like, like that. Yeah. That connection is there, but it is not at all heavy handed. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially father Valley is another young man in the order of St. Dumas uh, who basically kind of indirectly took Jean-Paul's place mm-hmm. when Jean-Paul was secreted away and has a relationship with Jean-Paul's father, a sort of mentor-mentee. Like, almost almost to the point of being sort of surrogate son. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yes. And... Yeah, the, there's, a, there's a point where Ludovic, who is Jean-Paul's father, says something to the effect of, yeah, I saved my son at the at the cost of you, like you had to replace him and be yeah. the one that was sacrificed for him to not have to be part of this. And then of course, you know, the irony is he kind of was anyway. But, yeah. And um, there is, there is a, a leak of Intel that is going to bring down attention on the order of St. Dumas. So Ludovic as Azrael is ordered to basically kill off everyone outside of a certain select list of trusted higher ups. Mm-hmm. Including, do you remember Father Valley's name before? Was it Carl? Or I think it was it was Carl something. Yeah, that's his name now, right? Well, it was still Carl. He had a different last. Oh, name. Oh, right, he had a different last yeah. name, but it was Carl something. Yeah. Um, this list includes Carl, and Carl manages to survive and get away and track down the mole and kill the mole, and in in recompense, out of guilt however you want to frame it, Ludovic, like, helps get Carl away to safety because the Order knows he survived. Right. Oh, Carl White, well, what is it? Uh, uh, Wasserman. I'm assuming it's a Germanish, yeah. Probably. So, that's, I mean, those are the broad strokes. Um, I absolutely still think it's worth reading. The art in this issue is, as always, gorgeous. Oh, my God. Can can we talk for just a minute specifically about there's a fight scene between the two of them at night? Yeah. And Azrael has the flaming sword. Like, just the lighting and colors and art in that is, just, I was just like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. Like David Barron is a magician. Yeah. Yeah, like it. It. I was like, I would. The only place I can think of the lighting being this cool would be like in a video game where the lighting effects are actually coming from it, <laughs> right? And I'm like, Damn, Catwoman this is 2021 so annual now coming on the PS5. I mean, but you get you get what I'm saying. No, I know yeah, exactly yeah. what you're saying. It's gorgeous. God, I love it. I love it. As someone who's been playing a lot of Ratchet and Clank this week, I absolutely get what you're saying. You want to talk about best best way to show off the PS5 hardware? Yeah, Play no, that I game. don't because I want to talk, uh, and I don't want to talk about it. But I'm going to say, how the hell are we seven months after release and we still can't get these damn consoles? Chip shortages. I mean, it's the global chip I, shortage. I, I, that I, is... I mean, I know why, but like, yeah. come on, folks. 
I'm convinced that's why Nintendo hasn't announced the new Switch model yet. They just don't want to be in the same position as Sony and Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway, yes, we have this digressed. Yeah, we so did. good. Uh, and I, I cannot decide if if now that we have this connection explicitly, it means I want Jean-Paul to show up at some point in Catwoman, or if, like, I actually don't, and I just want this character to continue to exist at a distance from him for a while. Yeah. Um. I it, What it does, though, is it gives you the, the missing piece. Uh, like, he was real easy to just flat hate like you didn't yeah. have to worry about any other feelings for this character now you do sure. I'm, not saying you I mean, have to, I'm not saying you have to like him i'm just saying it's not flat anymore he yeah. now has more dimension and you're like well crap he's now still a monster yeah. just a monster you understand yeah exactly you know there's a difference between uh, uh, uh somebody that's doing bad things that that objectively they are bad like regardless of their motivation they're bad but there's a difference between they're just choose they're just bad and like understanding why they are making doing those that it's like ugh, yeah know. better character <laughs> good writing good yeah. writing's a hell of a drug yeah right green arrow 80th anniversary 100 page super spectacular yeah this is our what 10 10 short story 80th, 100th, whatever, anniversary, spectacular. 80th is correct, yep. Yeah, I know, I'm just saying, like, like, yes, you know, there was the thousand issue Superman and Batman that kind of kicked these things off, where there were, like, you know, the the 10 decades of variant covers and all that wonderful stuff. Thank you, DC, for continuing to do this so that I spend all my money. But, um... Uh, can I say the lineup for the stories in this one? Holy mother! Like, yeah, I mean, the... I, like just super quick. I'm, without even telling you the story titles, I just want to read who the who the super quick. And, and I'm not going to go through all of these, but I'll just touch on just the writers, just so you get an idea. This is not meant to like highlight writers or anything. This is just so that you get an idea of like what we're talking about. So you've got Mariko Tamaki, Tom Taylor, Stephanie Phillips, Mike Grell, Rom V, Brandon Thomas, Devin Grayson, Phil Hester, uh, Vita Ayala, Benjamin Percy, Jeff Lemire, and Larry O'Neill. Larry O'Neill, of course, being the son of Dinny O'Neill. We're going to talk about that one specifically in a minute. Um, but holy, like, my point is, like, they don't skimp on these things anymore. Like, no. They, Pull in like top talent teams and wow, because yeah, the art in this is insane too. Um, one of the things I love specifically about these hundred page spectacular things is the the teams, both both the writers and the artists, really try to tell stories that are in these different decades of this character's existence. Yeah, right. Um, and like always, there's going to be about two or three that I want to point out. Uh, the Tom Taylor one, which is called Punching Evil, <laughs> is all about um, uh, Ollie. Uh, Dinah has convinced Ollie that he needs to train with Ted Grant so that he can protect himself. Right. And Ted is like, you can't always you can't always fight somebody with arrows from 20 feet away. Sometimes, you know, you can't punch evil from 20 feet away. You have to. You know, sometimes is this it, it, the origin of the the punching glove arrow? It is. 
Yes. <laughs> and so, um, you know, he, he trains with Ted and he obviously gets much, much better. And, and, you know, Ted's like, do you always want to stand back or do you want to fight next to Dinah when she fights? He's like, I always want to be next to her, right? Just stand with her. So anyway, so they train in this whole thing. Uh, so somebody shows up to, to take out Wildcat, to take out Ted Grant and does. And, um, uh, Ollie, yeah, he, he hits Ollie, whatever, and he's getting away. And Ollie, like, takes an arrow and stabs it down into Ted's boxing glove and picks it up and, and shoots it. And it's the origin of the body. And he's like, Yeah, I punched evil 20 feet away. So that was like, <laughs> like that was just like, way to go, Tom Taylor. That was incredible, just right? Um, let's see. Uh, there was a, um, there was one actually by Devin Grayson, which was called Green Man and Autumn Sun, which is Roy Harper telling uh, in and I want to I want to be clear here. I'm not saying this is a Navajo story. I'm saying it was an homage to like a Navajo type story where they like rename characters like that, like Autumn Sun and, and Green Man. Right. And because Roy initially was raised by members of the Navajo Nation, they talk about at the end of this, there's a specific note that says, seek out and, and like, we, we at DC encourage you to go find some of these stories and, and read and become more familiar with them. But just the idea that they put something like this in here, I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, the, uh, there's one called The Last Green Arrow Story, which, um, tell me what you think this is. Okay, it's called The Last Green Arrow Story. The writer is Jeff Lemire, and the artist is Andrea Sorrentino. What does when that you sound say, like? I mean, it's my favorite New 52 creative team from Green Arrow. Like, it's that. It's Old Man Ollie is what it is. Amazing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's Old Man Ollie. So that was, that was cool. And then the one that I want to point out is called Tap, Tap, Tap. Uh, and it, is a, it was written by Larry O'Neill, who is the son of Denny O'Neill. There's mm -hmm. a, a, a short like one paragraph text page before it that talks about Denny O'Neill and what he did for Green Arrow and honestly even more for for superheroes in general specifically DC but like everywhere and it's one of the things that you know when you think about the evolution of comics right there's some there's obviously very key point there's like you know the creation of Superman where superheroes started right there's the 60s with Stan Lee where they introduced, like, real heroes that are flawed people, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the next big pieces of this was Denny O'Neill with Green Arrow specifically, but obviously Green Lantern was part of it, where superheroes were able to become something more than just characters who fought, who fought gangsters and supervillains on a page. They could comment about society and 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 push for change in the real world, right? And like this is a story from Larry about his father and kind of like I don't. There's no text in it. There's some images. I mean, obviously, there's the the, the art images, but like there's like text balloons that are think of like speaking in emoticons. Like there's thoughts of images of what Denny is thinking as he goes through, but yeah. it's kind of his whole life and his relationship and how he grew through comics and what comics meant to him. And it is absolutely beautiful. Denny O'Neill was like the writer 
you know, think of like the, you know, the uh, Scott Snyder or, or the Fraction. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like he was the writer when I was reading comics in the late 70s. Right. And yeah. wow. I like I just love this story. I, I Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. And I think everybody should. It'll take you two minutes to go through. <laughs> but take a look if you can. Loved the Green Arrow anniversary issue. Um, thanks, everybody that contributed to it, because yeah. wonderful. I am excited to read this one. I put it at the bottom of my stack, saying, well, Brian doesn't normally get to these, and I I guessed it on JD's uh, podcast again. Uh, the, there is a spinoff to Comics Quest called The Long Haul, and they asked me on to talk about Deceased. So I needed time to reread Deceased, and that came at the cost of this. But I will be reading this either later today or tomorrow. I'm very excited. Yeah, and, uh, you know, ironically, I looked at it and said, you know what? I never read these. I'm going to make sure I read this one for this. (laughs) So we did this little swap thing. That was good. We are are the worst O'Henry story. We are. Indeed. Indeed. Teen Titans Academy 2021 yearbook. Nice little synonym for annual there. It is, yeah. Uh, this is actually kind of another anthology, but it's, I, I, it's because they're trying to format it in a yearbook format. Um, the the teams are a little odd in that they're not always necessarily telling a a story. Sometimes it's just like comment pages or, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think if we want to talk about the the comic pages and not the mm-hmm. yearbook pages. The comic stories in here all feel like they are giving us context about characters who we've seen, but who are going to be even more important going forward, or plot elements. So, specifically, like, we get a story that focuses on Stitch. Yes. And we get another story that focuses on, uh... Oh, shoot. Um... He's not Superboy. (laughs) Right. Oh, not Superboy. I like that. Yeah. Let's just call him not Superboy. Not Superboy. Um, the the character kind of everyone suspected was Red X, who nobody thought had powers until, like, issue three. And it turns out he basically has, like, Superman-esque powers, and people mistake him for Superboy, which is a wrinkle I love. Uh, so we learn more about both of them. We have a story called Five More Minutes, which kind of reinforces that brief moment we had in issue three with Raven starting to see glimpses of future state, essentially the events that lead right. to future state. Yep. And like we, as the reader, because of that, this is, this is one of those things that I think is super well executed. We, as the reader, because we've read future state know that these are things that will probably come to pass mm-hmm. and are legitimate threats. And like, it makes a story like this really, really well balanced because it's very much about like her and Beast Boy on date night. And Beast Boy's like, no, just like you've stopped time. Let's take five more minutes. Don't worry about these these glimpses of possible futures. We'll we'll deal with them. It will be fine. And like that's exactly like the thing he should say and do. But at the same time, like we know, we know, okay, yeah, this is this is gonna be bad. Yeah. Like, we get both sides of it in a way that I think is really well-conceived. Well can I say that I do love the fact that for them to have a quiet dinner as a, as a date, that Raven literally has to stop time because that's the only way they'll get that. 
Which felt weirdly relatable to me. <laughs> That's kind of what I mean. Like, yeah, I think everybody, at least at some level, can relate to that, right? Uh, and then the the last story here, Extraction, is kind of the secret history of Red X, the yeah. current Red X. Not, and, we're not revealing uh, who it is, but yeah. No. Uh, we meet the Red X of five years ago, who has mentored the current Red X. And I've got to say, like, I'm really kind of digging my feet in on this, even if an alternate universe, Jason Todd theory of mine. Like, Earth 3 Jason Todd, or Earth 2 Jason Todd. Yeah, maybe. No, or... Earth, Earth 3, I had it right the first time. Yeah. Or even Earth Prime Jason Todd. Yeah. Or at least maybe he's the elder red x who gave it to the new well that's what i'm saying like yeah, i think okay. that yeah. i think that's yeah, the yeah, jason yeah. todd angle gotcha gotcha um, um i am i i'll be honest i i i don't know who it is anymore well, i think i thought i, think I did the, but i think that one is jason just because of the whole like he's got the line in there about how he's he's basically stolen the mantle from dick grayson he's not dick grayson he's going to show him how to do it right which is a very jason todd that's kind of super statement jason todd but also the entire story is about him taking down, like, abusive foster families. Yeah. Which I cannot think of a more Jason Todd kind of mission. Uh, the other possibility there would have been, again, back to my th original theory, would have been, I, I can see Roy Harper being that older one. And the only two things I'll say about the Jason Todd and the Roy Harper, part of what makes me lean towards those two as well, it, whoever it is is wearing a baseball cap, which is like very, very on point for those characters. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically Roy Harper, by the way. But yeah. That's true. I am going to say like, especially having read Infinite Frontier number one now, yeah. I think there might be enough on Roy Harper's plate without uh, yeah. also being I, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Like table talk a little bit, but. Yeah. Well, I'm saying is the older one. He's not the current Red X. True. So, right. Yeah. 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 But also, where is Jason Todd in the present? Um, I mean. We've seen him in Gotham Future State. Yeah. Or Future State Gotham. Yeah, uh, um, good question. I don't know. You have anything else on on Titans Twenty One? Uh, uh, no, some of the, some of the some of the little like character you know pages were fun too. They were. Yeah, yeah. The superlatives the were superlatives fun. Superlatives were fun. Yeah. Let's talk crossover number seven. Oh my gosh! Written by Chip Zdarsky, pencils by Phil Hester, inks by Andy Parks. Colors by Deaconiffa, and Letters and Design by John J. Hill. Starring Chip Zdarsky and Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> no, no, false. Oh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Starring Chip Zdarsky and Steve, Steve Murray. Steve Murray, yes, exactly. You are, I, I, as soon AKA, as I said it, I was like, nope. A.K.A. Dave Murray. A.K.A. Dave Murray. <laughs> um, okay, this book is incredible, and real, real talk, like, please, please read this. If you haven't yes. read it yet, just... Skip this segment and go to the next one and read this book. I, I gotta say, I was talking to Mike yesterday. Uh-huh. And he was like, yeah. He was like, have you read Crossover? I was like, yeah. He was like, it's it's really good. I think I'm on uh, I think I'm on issue three or maybe I just finished two. Da -da. Like, this just happened. I was like, oh, oh, child. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> has happened yet. You keep reading. It's so good. <laughs> I just love the image of anyone addressing Mike as, oh, child. <laughs> Fair enough. I can just hear Mike saying, fuck you, in response. <laughs> I mean, 
I'm sure that was his response, but yeah. Yeah. Um Steve Murray in this issue makes the comment that he is no Grant Morrison. Yes. And I'm gonna say, I think if there's a single issue of a Chips Darsky book that disproves that statement, it is this issue. Certainly more than any other, yes. Um, okay, I'm or uh, what's the other one? It's not like uh, who is it? Uh uh it wasn't uh it wasn't Lemire. Who was it? Uh oh Hickman. It's not like I'm Hickman smart. <laughs> oh, that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, okay, Hickman yeah, yeah, smart. yeah. That yeah. was it. <laughs> He's on the he said, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not all that smart. I mean, it's not like I'm Hickman smart. That was it. I was like, good God, man. Yeah. If anything disproves that, it's maybe this issue. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is your last chance to turn away before we tell you what happens in this excellent issue. There is someone killing comic book artists. Yes. Uh, nobody really knows if it's like just an angry person who thinks they're responsible for the breach or... If it's characters who they've created or worked on seeking vengeance for something that they've done. Steve Murray, the the, the real name uh, behind Chip Zdarsky. Mm -hmm. Steve Murray is on the run, in hiding, failing at multiple service jobs. Having an existential crisis about not being good at anything but writing and drawing comics. Mm -hmm. Which, like, in that, that very sex criminal's way, feels like Steve is... is being incredible or chip is being incredibly honest through steve yeah about his own anxieties and fears he is convinced that it is a specific character who he's written in sex criminals number 14 correct who wants to kill him and who is that character brian oh uh, that character is chip zadarsky <laughs> yes he is convinced that that his comic writing persona and online persona chip zadarsky is actually the one who is coming to kill him <laughs> Only it turns out he's not because the entire reason Steve created Chip was to protect him and to, like, empower him and let him be someone other than Steve Murray in these spaces. Mm -hmm. So comic book Chip protects and spoons uh, <laughs> Steve Murray. Uh, protect Steve Murray from, from whatever, whoever is actually out to get him. Yeah, he Terminator 2's him, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Comes Come out with me if you want him. to make more dick jokes. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I... So, when we do when we do our end of year episode and we mm -hmm. each get to pick our like favorite single issue, oh. this is gonna make one of our lists. This is this is certainly gonna be on that short list, definitely. Um yeah. let me ask you this. Is there a character that both Vaughn and Zadarsky has written? Mm, that's a good question. Uh they've both done has Brian K. Dot has Brian K. Vaughn done the Fantastic Four? Mm. I don't know. Chip hasn't done Runaways. Mm -mm. Or, I, I don't... I, I'm really wondering specifically if there's an image character, maybe. Because uh, it would be easy for them to use that character. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, that's going to limit it a lot, though, because it Chip's does. image work is Captara and Sex Criminals. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I just, yeah, I, I find that. Yeah. The other thing is, we don't know, I guess, that, because they, they, I'm trying to remember, I don't think they found a body with Brian K. Vaughn. They just know he's he is also just missing, is that right? Or was he actually found? I think he's the one who was found. Okay, maybe so. Maybe so. And then a bunch of other comic writers like 
went into hiding. Okay, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. That was there's like a news Chiron in issue two that that talks about like Chips Darsky and Scott Snyder and like maybe Jerry Duggan. Okay. Going into hiding. Alright. But uh yeah, fun fun stuff. Fun stuff. Yeah. Um and then we get a bit of a surprise at the last page here. Yeah. Uh Let's just say at the end of this, Chip, or Steve, rather, gets powers. Yeah. He does. In a way of speaking. Yeah. yeah it, in, in a sense. This, this, was a, this was a fun meta issue. Great. Thank I mean, you, every, you, Chip. every issue of this series is meta, but yes. like Thank, thank you, Chip. Steve. Everybody. <laughs> Dave. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, also, shout out to... Uh, also shout out to Phil Hester and Andy Parks uh, on cartoon chip. Yes. Like in the same way we've already learned this world's rules, like the design for cartoon chip is in keeping with those rules. Yes. Beautiful. The United States of Captain America. Number one. Uh, There are two stories in this. Both are colored by Matt Miller and lettered by Joe Caramagna. The main feature is called You Brought Two Too Many, written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Del Eaglesham. Uh, This is a couple of things. It is a very sort of contemporary cap reflecting on kind of the current state of America, what it means to wear the flag and be associated with America and like the, the, the problems with that right now. Uh, there is a Smithsonian exhibit that wants to use his shield and he's like polishing it and gonna, gonna let them use it when someone dressed as him breaks in and steals it. So he and, uh, Sam Wilson, also as Captain America, team up to track down the shield. Uh, they chase this, this thief to a train that he, you know, tries to derail and creates a whole scene. And that is where they meet Aaron Fisher, who is the first of the new Captains America that this book is introducing us to. Uh, Aaron Fisher is a young gay man who basically lives on the rails and protects those who travel the rails and anyone who just, like, as he passes through towns, needs a hand. That is our backup. Uh, which is written by Josh Trujillo with art by Jan Basildua. Uh It's a story about Aaron Fisher in this town where he's like stopped off to see this concert, finding out that unhoused folks are going missing. And that it is Roxon basically kidnapping them as slave labor and using them to build Roxon like, wouldn't be high end housing. Like that. I know, not Roxon, proprietor of the very popular Roxon app, as seen in Champions. <laughs> Social media companies would never be sketchy. No. Um, there was a study published last week, last weekend, a couple weeks ago, I guess technically as this episode comes out, uh, in which a group of scientists from around the world have argued that we need to treat social media companies' overreaches as as big a catastrophe as climate change. Yeah, or it's like an environmental disaster, yeah. Just yeah. A, a, a global disaster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, you got my support there. 
Yeah, absolutely. We've digressed, but fuck mm-hmm. social media companies. Anyway, uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, this is our first queer Captain America character, uh, which I know this series has made news for. Each issue will be introducing another Captain America who is of a different marginalized community. So will we be calling them Captains America? Yes. Uh, Steve at one point calls them Captain Americas, and Sam responds, I think it's Captain's America. Oh, does he actually? Yes. Oh my god, that's beautiful. Which immediately made me think of the West Wing Weekly. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I hope, knowing that both of them uh, read comics, I hope that at some point they read that issue and delight in it. Me too. That's great. All right. Do we want to check in on Krakoa? We should do that. Oh, we yeah we have to do that actually for a couple reasons here so first up i've got these backwards in our notes but first up is x factor number 10 Mm -hmm. written by leah williams art by david baldeon uh david messina lucas wernick colors by israel silva letters by joe caramagna and design by tom moeller this is the last issue of x factor it is um very saddened by that this uh, I, I, the premise of this book was something that I really, really loved. And I, personally, I feel like it didn't get a chance to fully explore that. But you know. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to make this whole segment about this, this book getting no, canceled. No, I don't either. I don't either. Um, I will say that as, as a book that has clearly plotted itself out for having more space than it was ultimately given. There are moments of this that are definitely rushed. Uh, And I want to, before we get into the rest of it, acknowledge what I think is an incredibly valid piece of criticism of this issue that various entertainment websites have written about already Mm -hmm. uh, by the time this episode comes out, and that certainly has, has hit social media. And that is specifically the treatment of Prodigy's plotline in this issue, Mm -hmm. something that and I'm going to, when I post the episode, I'll post a link to uh, a Gizmodo piece written by Charles Pulliam Moore um, talking about queer representation and black queer representation in this last issue. This piece acknowledges, and I think most people have acknowledged, yes, this is clearly a product of having been canceled early, wanting to tie up this ongoing mystery of what happened to Prodigy right. before the series started. Um, and I think there are some fair criticisms that one, the way it's handled doesn't paint Prodigy in the best light. Mm-hmm. It kind of seeds a, a moral stance in, in, in the interest of wrapping up the storyline and kind of, it, it forces the rest of X Factor to like step in and calm him down, which is not a great look. Um, and not really in keeping with his character in general, the rest of the series. Uh, but also it tries to, to bring in real world abuses of black queer men and kind of rushes that in a way that i think is fair for criticism and and i think the i i think both of those are the same thing right if you had had you know another six eight ten issues whatever to spread this out and give some of this time to breathe you could like earn prodigy maybe being in that behavioral state or that kind of thing yeah but all of this does feel a little bit off because of how fast it had to happen and i'm mentioning yeah. this up top not to like beat on the issue i think again 
okay, lot of yeah. the, the factors that contributed to this were outside of its creative team's control. I think there the the general argument is this is why we need more queer writers of color, more black queer writers, because that helps protect against moments like this, even out of necessity. I absolutely support that. There are a lot of other things that Brian and I, two white guys, are way more qualified to talk about, and I'd rather promote black voices talking about this, black queer voices talking about this. Uh, I think it's important, and I wanted to acknowledge it up top, and now we'll talk about everything else that happens here. What I can talk about is how awesome uh, iBoy was in this. (laughs) iBoy has always... Okay, you know I have a strange fondness for... Especially that Morrison era of what are the weirdest possible body horror defined mutants. Uh-huh. And iBoy is like right up there with Glob Herman for me in that that camp. Yeah. This is the best iBoy has ever been. Right? This, this run so in general, this issue even, like iBoy is fantastic here. Uh I I say this and people think I'm joking, but like the thing I want X-Men movies in the MCU to do is move past the, the sort of traditional Stanley Chris Claremont lines of characters mm-hmm. and give us more of the, give us some new mutants, give us some new X-Men Morrison era, give us some of the Bendis X characters, like give us Tempest, give us Gold Balls. Um, like I want to see some of the weirder mutants out there in these movies. Yeah. Uh, I love them so much. We also get in this issue mm-hmm. who the victim of the Hellfire Gala murder is. And Brian, well done. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, when you said it, it made perfect sense. It made me feel like, a, will they will they go this far? Yeah. Like, as soon yes. as I had that thought, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is perfect. And they absolutely will, because this character is not being used for anything critical. Uh, else right now well and it's that kind of structural beat right because as soon as you said it i went to oh no this is why nightcrawler has been a running joke yeah it's not because they wanted to use him as a running joke nope. it's because they want to like take away Discredit his credibility yeah, as they, a witness yep yeah um so our murder victim and like poor poor billy right because oh, billy is yeah there billy finds the body yeah can I can I say Billy showing up though and <laughs> what is it he says to a prodigy um uh prodigy hi wait we can wear dresses here I didn't I think of that you look incredible we should always wear dresses <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious yeah yeah oh. yeah and then iboy tries to protect him from finding the body and yeah yeah it's, mm. uh... we if it's not if it's not incredibly apparent it's it's wanda the scarlet witch has been moitered yep and magneto will be the one yeah so this is the last issue of x factor but 100 percent, they very clearly tell you their story right now is going to be continued in the trial of magneto yes yeah um oh my word i yeah like I, i i did call it but I think I said when I did, like, oh my God, what, how great for the story, but oh no. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, for so many reasons. Uh. Yeah. We also had cable number 11 this week, which I'm starting to worry is number 12 the last issue of cable? 
I don't know, but like, no, you just set this up for so many good things. Why would you know? Well, not, not and to I've, mention, um, how am I going to get my my every single month Phil Noto art fix? Because I need <laughs> I mean, that in my life. I, I'm sure Phil Noto will get another book. Know, Phil Noto's never like, desperate for work. I know, but like, I, I like it in this book. <laughs> I do too. Um, and I will say, like, I've already gone through September solicitations. We were going to try to record this week, and that did not get to happen. Right. But I've gone through. There's not a cable number thirteen mm, solicited even through September. No, I don't like this. We know that, uh, I think Al Ewing is writing it, um, but there is a Cable Last Annihilation one-shot starring Old Man Cable mm-hmm. that comes out in the next couple of months. So, like, we know he's going to be around and maybe in cosmic stuff. Uh, I just, I don't know what that means for Kid Cable. What What I love is... Kid Cable is now more mature and um, has grown as I mean, and that's actually pointed out in this issue. Yeah. But what I also love is apparently Old Man Cable being killed by Kid Cable and coming back has mellowed him a bit. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I think they're both better characters now. (laughs) I would agree. Like, yeah, I like Duggan's take on both cables. I do, too. Uh, we should also mention that I feel like the plot line we skip over the most in this book is the uh, Space Knights stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Which I really wonder what that's building to. And that's what makes me think, is there going to be a like, either will this series continue or will there be some sort of new book that Duggan takes over? I, I, I'm really wondering if, well, especially or, the fact or that... Or will they, that... Yeah. Will that pick up in marauders it it could but and the specifically i i think that it, there I, I think there is definitely a plan to tell that story and the reason i say that is the fact that they give old man cable the the sword yeah the sword of galador i think that is 100 percent intentional and that's i think he's going into space to to and that's going to be part of that yeah yeah like I guess for me the question is, does that become part of Last Annihilation, or does that become part of, like, Marauders? Right. Because uh, it has been confirmed, Space Pirates! <laughs> called it! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so who, who's who's on that who's on that Space Marauders team? I mean, I think, obviously, we think Old Man Cable is probably going to be part of that. I mean, I think it's mostly the same roster. You think so? I, I did not... I never actually look super closely at the books I'm already reading when mm-hmm. I do solicitations, so I didn't double check it, but I think it's probably about the same roster. Well, and Kate has experience in space, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Storm is not on the team anymore. I right. Don't think, yeah, yeah. Because right. Queen of Mars. Queen of Mars, right, sure. Voice of Mars, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Voice of Saul, whatever. <laughs> that, and I mean, oh my God. Phil Noto doing a magic scene. You know I'm all in for that. Yep. I, I love that she's like, <laughs> old man Cable shows up and he's like, I need you to take me to this place. And she's like, go f- go find Gateway. I, don't, I, don't, I ain't got time for this. I'm meditating. He's like, I'll owe you a marker. Ooh, a marker from the old man. I can, well, uh, I can get down with that. <laughs> But even better, as soon as yeah. she accepts, he's like, "Yeah, I know exactly what you're going to use." This yeah, he's for like, too. "He's it's like, by the way, hold on to that. You're going to need it." <laughs> it's like, "Oh shit!" I love that. I love that idea of like, "Yeah, because I have future knowledge, I'll like offer people favors, knowing exactly what they'll need them for." Right. 
Exactly. I'd have done it anyway, but this way I get something out of the deal, too. <laughs> I love that. Um, it's the two-man con, but the two men are just you at different points in can, time. Can I also say that the, the text page, which is a uh, Cable's War Wagon deployment log. <laughs> <laughs> These have all happened. You just don't know it yet. Yeah, that and the one that I really love is, uh, let's see, what is it? Secret War Wagons. Okay, admittedly, this was more of a Deadpool story. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure was a reference to Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars. I think so, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, Appreciated the Deadpool cameo of this and Gene <laughs> dealing with Deadpool. Yes. I used my telekinesis to to yeah. block his neural pathways. I'm not proud. Well, because uh, both Cables know that they're going to need backup for this. For yeah. Defeating Strife. So Cable's like, who should I get? And he's like, you should get everybody. So yeah. he literally goes and pulls the entire old X-Force team yeah. together. Yeah. He's got Domino and Deadpool and yeah, it's so good. I love yeah. the other thing I love is since, since Deadpool's not actively in a book or doing anything right now. I mean <laughs> that he's he's making money by being a Deadpool character impersonator in New York. Yes. And like begs, begs to be added to the X Force roster because he's not. He doesn't even have crossovers or cameos right now. I love that so much. Like I'm waiting for him and and Gwynpool to like commiserate. Oh my gosh, no joke, right? I mean, Jeff would be happy. Yeah, right. Barbaric number one, a new Vault series, written by Michael Moretzi, art by Nathan Gooden, colors by Addison Duke, and letters by Jim Campbell. This is one of those books that happens occasionally that, like, I'm aware of, and the marketing materials around, the solicitation text around, don't quite hook me, but it just happens to come out in a light week, and it's from a creative team I like, so I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead anyway. And then it's absolutely fucking fantastic. <laughs> uh, this is about a barbarian. Very like, this is very like sort of, of, of like, almost sort of a pulp fantasy setting. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of poor feudal towns, um, big monsters fighting in gladiatorial arenas, uh, doing pirate things on the seas, right? This barbarian named Owen has, like, lived the high life just killing monsters and getting laid and making money and getting drunk and lather, rinse, repeat. When he is cursed by three witches to only be able to kill creatures or people who deserve it and to not be able to turn down a request for help. And he hates this. He he has this axe that talks that basically like when the book starts, he's he's in this gladiatorial arena and uh, he is supposed to kill these three criminals. And the announcer reads off their charges and the axe is like, OK, you can kill the first two. But no, the third one does not deserve murder. The third one had to steal for a reason, and that's because your economy is bullshit and trickle-down economics aren't real. So no, spare him. And then the ex is like, oh, by the way, this announcer who is uh, pushing this murder, you gotta kill him too. <laughs> uh, it's it's fun and like very modern inside of this, this aesthetic. It's 
got a really strong sense of humor. Uh, we've talked a lot about Wasted Space, and we've had Michael Moretzi on the show before. This is a fun book that like lets him flex his 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 comedy muscles. Uh, Owen encounters a disturbance where a group of people are trying to burn a witch, which manages just to not quite cross the line into Monty Python territory. Uh, <laughs> but but still makes you think of it. Um, she is being accused of witchcraft because she is trying to warn everybody of this oncoming monster attack. And two things turn out to be the case. One, there is in fact an oncoming monster attack. And two, she is in fact a witch. And proceeds to pull weapons off of her body that are concealed as tattoos and fight alongside Owen to, like, turn back her attackers, and then at the end of the issue, they've got to deal with this monster. Oh, I like that. It's so much fun. It's so creative and clever and cool. Can, can I say, like, that's just a thing that I've always liked is creative storage concepts. For equipment, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, because essentially that's what kind of what they are then at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, and she can never be, like, totally disarmed. Is it still good? Infinite Frontier, Secret Files, number one. We've talked about each of these issues as they've come out individually. Yeah. We had the print collection come out this week. Definitely worth checking out if you haven't read it already, uh, especially if you're not familiar with Jade and Obsidian and Director Bones and Roy Harper and, uh... Psycho Pirate and President Superman. Did mm -hmm. I miss anybody? I don't think so, but I don't think so. Um, so much fun, so good. Uh, I'd say even if you're not reading Secret Fi or reading Infinite Frontier, honestly, it's probably worth checking out because I think these are all characters who are going to be active in ongoing books. Uh, at DC, I'd also ask why aren't you reading Infinite Frontier? It's very good. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually reading the Psycho Pirate one right now, the last one that I have. <laughs> The Department of Truth number 10. Shh, be very, very quiet. We're hunting Bigfoots. <laughs> Beta Ray Build number four. Uh, Bill takes a trip down memory lane. And if you know anything about Beta Ray Bill, you know that's not a good day. Black Cat Annual number one. This is the third part of our Infinite Destinies annuals. Uh, and the Nick Fury backup. The The main story here is actually a little lighter on Infinity Gems. Uh, it's a team-up between Black Cat and White Fox to stop a uh, sort of the Korean government's answer to Superman, or because this is Marvel Hyperion, uh, who's being mind-controlled and on a rampage. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Definitely worth checking out if you're reading the other Infinite Destinies issues. Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number four. Uh, we learn Mordred's scheme and motivations. And uh, the Black Knight is dead. Long live the Black Knight. Black Widow, number eight. Uh, Anya and uh, the White Widow meet for the first time and get along swimmingly. And both uh, get themselves into some trouble, which Natasha has to clean up. Daredevil number 31. The last thing you want, if you are 
Matt Murdock in prison, or Elektra as Daredevil, or Wilson Fisk as mayor, is for an unhinged sociopath to be wandering around New York killing people. Good thing Bullseye's definitely not hallucinating angels and murdering people around New York for fun. Oh, wow. Eternals number five. Uh, the Eternals who are investigating everything, uh, trick Gilgamesh into revealing himself to make sure he is not responsible for the damage to the machine, and, uh, then realize maybe who probably is. Shang-Chi, number two, uh, you know what you probably don't want if you are trying to remind your friends that just because you're now the head of your father's evil criminal empire that you are not, in fact, evil or a criminal yourself? That would be for your right-hand man to con Captain America and steal a cosmic cube. Oh. The autumnal number eight, uh, this wraps up this series. Cat uh, has her showdown with Biddle in the woods, and um, I'm not going to say it goes well. I'm not going to say it goes badly. But it goes. But it and I'm going to make... Everybody read this for the spooktacular this year. Oh, that's fine. One of one of my favorite recent horror books. That's all good. And, and finally, Witchblood number four. Now with more aliens and sky vampires. This week's books, Ordinary Gods number one. Written by Kyle Higgins, art by Felipe Watanabe. Tell me about this, Brian. Yeah, so this is um uh basically gods who are now reborn as just normal everyday people and how they deal with that um would you say they're a slob like one of us i would a stranger would. on the bus trying to make their way home you know what there you go that is perfectly uh perfectly good yeah our our protagonist in this is is called christopher he's 22 right um has parents 12 year old sister works at a paint store and um yeah he's one of apparently used to be one of the big five gods so yeah obviously you know this is going to take off and go other places but that's kind of where it starts and uh you know Kyle Higgins writes good stuff so I'm all in we also have Blacksmith number one this is written by Eric Palicki art by Wendell Cavalcante and letters by Rob Steen uh this this is this book has one of the easiest most crystalline pitches I have ever heard okay so werewolf, who's a detective investigating murders. Sure. Um, specifically murders of werewolves with mystical weapons. No brainer to me. Mammo, number five, number one of five. This is by Sass Millage. Uh, this is a book about a young girl who like has to return to her hometown after her grandmother, who sort of managed all the like magic that kept the community going and relationships with magical creatures passes away and someone has to keep doing that work the art in this book is absolutely gorgeous uh i was looking at the preview to double check creative team earlier and it is one of the prettiest books i've seen in a while batman secret files the signal one shot written by tony patrick art by christian deuce colors by luis guerrero and letters by and world design this is our first batman secret files one shot we're gonna get one or two of these a month for the foreseeable future, telling us just about different characters and what they're up to in Infinite Frontier and uh, against the backdrop of the upcoming Scarecrow War or whatever it's called. 
Fear State. Fear State. Yep. Uh, we have a little book called X Men Number One. I've heard of that. Yeah, written by Jerry Duggan. Hey, another place that maybe the Space Knights could show up. Art by Pepe Larraz. Colors by Marte Gracia. And letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, more X-Men. I don't think we need to, to explain any more than that. Polaris and Laura. Point. Kenny. I mean, I'm I'm down. Yeah. Also a good point. You're right. I, I was going to overlook that, and you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent roster. And finally... Life is Strange, Coming Home, number one. Yeah, this is the, the next uh, arc in the comic story uh, that's continuing Life is Strange. Um, I'll also point out, uh, which I should point out, uh, is being written again by uh, Emma Viacelli. Art is Andrea Izzo, and colors are Claudia Leonardi. Um, this also, there's going to be a backup strip in this one featuring uh, the first comic appearance of Alex Chin who is uh, the lead character from the new uh, Life is Strange game, True Colors. So, yeah. Yeah. I uh, watched a lot of E3 coverage with uh, friends of the podcast, Matt Storm and Jeff Moonen, the the co-hosts of Fun and Games Mm -hmm. on certain POV. And Matt and I were talking about this game when the the new footage of, of True Colors popped up that won. Neither of us somehow has played any Life of Strange, and we both need to rectify this. Oh, you absolutely do. And two, the remastered collection coming out soon is absolutely going to be how we rectify this. Yeah, fall, this fall, the remastered yeah. version should be coming out. Yeah, um, if you have not played that, I highly recommend that, those games well, to everybody. And I, I, I even mentioned, as, as we were talking about it, that you had said such great things about it and were loving the comics. Like, that's a big reason yeah. why I feel like I need to check it out. Yeah, and like I said, the, the comics are great. Like, I love how well they fit into the games. Like, they're, they're, and, and they're just gorgeous, too. So, anyway. Yeah. yeah all good. I believe that does it for us this week. I think so. We would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. We're a member of the Certain POV Network. Network. That's that's where Ned Stark and Ned Flanders and uh, Ned Leeds all hang out. Um, the Network. The Network. Yes. Try those words again. Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. Don't worry, I'll leave the wrong take of that one in this time. Good. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to CertainPOV.com. Uh, we also recently reworked our Discord, which there's a link to on CertainPOV.com. Uh, a lot more conversation happening now. We kind of did away with... There are still like individual channels to talk about episodes of podcasts. But now there's a general comics discussion oh, that good. happens across all three comics podcasts. A general books discussion. There's one for movie and TV. Movies and TV. There's one for video games like we've got broader conversational topics a lot more conversation happens now it's a lot of fun to just hang out and talk throughout the week uh i say as someone who is a big fan of message boards in the early aughts this is my favorite thing about discord is that kind of community yeah uh of course you can visit us at panelologypodcast.com support us at patreon.com slash panelology Get merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch, capital P, capital M, or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. Go read comics.
cpov certainpov.com